But uh, it really helped me out. No, mine, my sermons. Just clarifying. Why? What were you thinking? Thank you. No, I I get, I could use a favor. Um, uh, it's been a long day. Yeah. No, I'm talking about me. Yeah. You just been sitting there. I've had a long day, and uh, I just wanted if you could do me a favor. I, I don't really want to stand up here. Is it all right if I stand down there? Because I, I prefer that. And um, and also, I just wonder: is it possible? Can is it? Could can we just move forward a little bit? Can we just take a minute? Just there's a lot of gaps, and I, it will help me out. Just is that all right? If we could do that, I'd be really grateful. Just just take a minute and move forward a bit. Should I keep this one? Is that better? Yeah, yeah. Well, just as well as I'm not, not in the way. Great, okay. Oh, it's looking better already. That feels better. That's better. All right. And I'm not, I'm not got so much voice. I don't have as much voice as I had about four hours ago. And, uh, but I want to say thank you very much to Andy and Tammy for inviting Penny and me to be here with this very special church in a very special city that means a lot to Penny and I for lots of reasons, which I'll share about in a minute. It's great to see many of you. Great to see Rory engaged. Fantastic. I mean, I, it's great to see you engaged to him, but I, I just don't know you really, so I, I but, but I'm sorry, but I... I know Rory, and I know how much he really needs help. So it's just great. That's, uh, God is good. So, uh, but that's great. And it's great to be here with Roy. Where's Roy? Where's he hiding? Hey, Roy! I was there at his baptism. And uh, I can confirm he went completely under the water. So somewhere in North London, right? Yeah, yeah, some little Church of Christ chapel, I think, wasn't it something? Yeah, yeah, Kentish Town or somewhere around there. And I was, I was at his wedding too. Yeah, yeah, Neesden, Neesden, Wilsden Green. Yeah, yeah, nice and posh. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of what we call discipling Roy for a while. But back in the eighties, eighty-five. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 yeah, I still have some scars, but uh, but, uh, but God, God is good anyway, and uh, oh, I appreciate your faithfulness, Roy, and I really do, and the friendships. So many, I know some of you I don't really know, and uh, I'm sure that's to my loss. Some of you I do, and I, I can't thank and welcome and reconnect with everybody, so I apologize if I leave you out. But you're very special uh, to Penny and I, and of course we're all very special to God. Uh, and that's why we come together to sing and to pray. God, God moves through our lives in unexpected and often inconvenient ways. And I think as we look back, hopefully we can see the ways that God disturbed us and see how that was good. 
But sometimes it's difficult to see it at the time, which is what I talk about. What I want to talk about today. That it's great to share about this here because the Midlands have formed huge, huge, huge hugely significant things have happened in my life in in the Midlands of England. Uh, when I was five years old, my parents moved to a little village called Old Brighton, which is in Shropshire, a few miles outside of Wolverhampton. And I spent five years of my life in uh, in Old Brighton, and uh, those were my first uh, experiences I remember of going to church. I used to go to a little old lady's house on a Tuesday evening for Scripture Union lessons. I had a little King James Bible and a notepad, and I'd go and see this old lady, and she'd give me Scripture lessons. That was my first time studying the Bible, if you like. And then I joined the church choir. St. Mary's in, uh, in Old Brighton, and that was my first experience of singing and music and of singing songs to God and about God. And I think God began to sink something of himself into my soul at that time. It was also in Old Brighton that my brother died. And I, when I was about 10 years old, my mom had a third child, and uh, he died, and he's buried uh, in a churchyard in Shropshire, in the Midlands. And so... You know, a part of my family is buried here in the Midlands. And I could share more about that another time. And then we moved to Kent, and I always wanted to come back to the Midlands. You know when you're a little kid, and you leave what you feel is home? My parents took me to Kent. (laughs) What were they thinking? I later found out that my mother didn't want me to have a Birmingham accent, but I... I, 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 uh... Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. No, no, it's just, I'm just kidding. But uh, my dad got a job down there. I, was like, I hated my parents for a whole year for, for moving down there. And uh, I always felt like I wanted to come back. And I, when I applied for university, the only place I really wanted to come was Birmingham. And it, just, it was an emotional thing, you know. And I wanted to be back here. And so I came to Birmingham and came to university. I spent the morning down on the Vale Village and just remembering where I used to live. And, and um, I came to university full of uh, fears and dreams and various things. I studied music here and, uh, and sang in the cathedral choir. Uh, in Birmingham there and, and lots of experiences and that this of course in Birmingham the, by far the most important thing is where I met my wife Yay! everybody else cheered except her but uh, um, oh it's okay we've we've got a long drive home to sort that out so um, anyway we met during our first year at university, and we became boyfriend and girlfriend, and this is before the days we were disciples of Jesus Christ, and uh, we, uh, we, we got to, to know each other well, and, um, and then uh, after about three years, you know, we went to a party at uh, what used to be called Lake Hall, it's changed name now, and we went off out uh, late at night and went walked down by the lake, and, and we proposed to each other, I think. <laughs> I, I think that's how it worked. Well, well... But it's before I was a disciple of Christ, and large quantities of alcohol might have been involved. <laughs> Which might, might, might explain the lack of clear memories. But um, anyway, we got engaged in uh, 1984, 
uh, May, end of May 1984, and uh, and then we moved. I moved to London, got a job, and Julie D'Souza, who most of you would, many of you would know, she was on the same course as me at Birmingham University, so we knew each other as friends. She became a Christian in London. She invited me to church when I went to London. I went with, you know, and I went along, and I became a Christian. I studied the Bible with Penny, and uh, you know, I got baptized second of November 1984, and I baptized her second of December 1984, and then about nine months later, we got married which is 30 years ago this year. How about that? So, so uh, you know, it's so, it's so amazing to look back over decades for us in our marriage and, and the things that God has done. And I think it's amazing even for also the church here to think about that. You know, Penny and I were on the mission team uh, for a month or two at the beginning in 1988. I remember the first service in uh, the hotel in Easter Sunday, the first official service. Over, you were there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember studying the Bible with Jimmy Ogunshakin. And... Uh, More scars, but uh, <laughs> Roland Brown and I, where are you, Roland? Where's Roland? Roland Brown and I came up on scouting trips to Birmingham before the mission team was planted and came up and took photographs to take back to make slideshows to persuade people to give money. We show them pictures of Birmingham and say, Look how terrible it is, give money, give money. Give money to the mission team so we can send a mission team to Birmingham. So, do you remember those? Yeah? I'd borrow someone's car, drive up, and uh, I took Roland all. Anyway, this is an old other story. Anyway, um, <laughs> it is great to see the church here and to think that God has done amazing things over the years and surely has much more to do, and so he'll do it through you and I. Uh, there's no other th- people somewhere else he's going to do it through. I mean, he works in all kinds of situations, but he's going to do work through this group. And I think as we we hopefully go forward by faith, we have to tackle something. We have to tackle the topic of our sermon today. Because I think one of the things that is most significant in holding us back to being available to God is worry and anxiety. Surely there's more than that, but let's do a sermon on this. And look at what the Bible says about this to help us with these issues of worry and anxiety. Can we have a look at another slide here? Let me ask you, what is worry good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. No, but no, seriously though, isn't worry useful sometimes? What can it be useful for? I think it is. Okay, you take precautions about things, okay? Anything else? Can protect you from danger. Okay, yeah. A pardon? Okay, you make a plan for something. You realize, ooh, oh, I better be concerned about this, so I make a plan for retirement eventually. Okay. Makes you pray. Oh, okay, isn't it one of the things that makes us pray? Excellent point. To have an alternative plan. Right, you've got to have an alternative plan. Plan A doesn't work. Plan B might not work, but let's get to plan C. Plan, it can be good for some things. What, next slide. What about though, what, what is it bad for? Yeah. Can it be bad for your health? Okay, anything else? Faith? 
perspective relationships. Okay, it can make you pray, and it can make you stop praying, depending on how we react to what is going on in our lives. I think worry can be good in that it stops us being complacent. Worry can be bad, it can be downright evil, if it stops us trusting God. If it stops us living life to the full, as God has planned for us to enjoy living. And let's face it, my friends, uh, life has lots of things for us to worry about. If you're a parent, well, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a student, some of you coming to the end of your exams, getting ready for the next lot, and so on. Uh, Financial challenges, which so many of us face, which are quite significant, shall we say. Illness. I don't know if you noticed, Penny handed me two pills as I was up there. I was realized I was late taking some pills I need to keep taking because I have uh, a, a disc in my neck that's not where it should be. And I have very debilitating pain. So I have to take these very strong painkillers regularly. I realized I was supposed to take them at 2 o'clock. And I was, I was sitting here getting ready to get up and preach. I could feel tingling in my feet. And that's just, oh, that happens when I'm late taking these pills. Tingling. Ah, where are my pills? In the car. So my good wife ran off and got them for me. Illness creates a lot of anxiety for us. And quite a few of us are getting a little older. And so illness is becoming more a factor in our lives. Aging relatives. We worry about our mom, our dad, and people like that. Marriage can bring some anxiety. I mean, much joy. But we can be anxious about, you know, what happens if this and that. And, you know, we have a big bump and we can't get over it. And... Being single can can create anxiety. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to go on about it because we're all going to get depressed and <laughs> even more anxious than we already are. So um, I don't know about that, but but we have these challenges. And just speaking for myself, so that you know, I mean, I'm not talking at you here. I struggle greatly with anxiety and worry. Uh, in, in, uh, without a lot of detail, just, you know, I've had struggles with depression and with bouts of depression or periods of depression in my life that I'm sure, I'm pretty confident, are very strongly connected with issues of anxiety in my life. So this is just very real. And just being a Christian, having been baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit, does not make you immune from these challenges. If this stuff's going to come into our lives, the question you and I have to answer personally is what then do we do? What does the Bible offer us? What does Jesus give us to help us to deal with the reality of these issues? Jesus knew his own disciples would have some of these struggles. I think it's the next slide. Uh, He knew they would be worried. When they arrest you, doesn't sound too good. <laughs> when they arrest you, do not worry. Maybe he knew they were going to get worried. Or oh, the next slide. Matthew 13. The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. It's a very real challenge for us to stay faithful. The next slide. What about the Apostle Paul? 
Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. What? The Apostle Paul? He got anxious? What? Well, Philippians 4, the next slide. I mean, isn't he contradicting himself? Because he says, don't be anxious. This is Paul in chapter 2. He says, I've been anxious. I want to have this guy back because I'm struggling with anxiety. And then two chapters later, don't be anxious. Well, Paul, aren't you being a hypocrite? Or is he just being real? About the fact that we go through these things in our lives. Maybe one more passage. 2 Corinthians 1. Paul saw a purpose in all of this. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired. Highlighted that word. We despaired of life itself. He felt like the bottom had fallen out of his world. There was nothing left. We felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God saw a purpose in the challenge, the purpose in the cause of worry and anxiety that he might learn to rely upon God. And why is that important? It's important because that's how we draw near to God. That's how we draw alongside him. Let's go look at our our text, our main text now in Matthew 6. Let me take you to Matthew 6. And we're going to spend most of the rest of our time here in this passage because I think what Jesus shares here in this passage gives us tremendous strength and help to deal with the worries in our lives. So in Matthew 6 here, in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Okay, it's a command. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Or the King James, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Isn't that a great phrase? That's the King James Version of of Matthew 6.33, the end there. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I think every day has enough evil. Sufficient evil. We don't need to add to it, hopefully. Um, So here's what I want to lay before you today. We're, We're familiar with two commands in this passage. Very familiar. 
One is do not worry, and the other is seek first the kingdom, right? And in the Greek, they are, in, in the, in, they are imperatives. They are do this. They are commands in that sense, right? So do not worry and seek first the kingdom. But there are two other imperatives in this passage. I think they're on the next slide. Perhaps, yes. The words look and see are also imperatives. Do not worry, seek first the kingdom, but what comes in between? What comes in between is look and see. See the flowers, look at the birds. Jesus is not only commanding seek first the kingdom, which he is, and we will come to that towards the end, but what he's also saying is, I have a way for you to deal with this worry, and first of all, look at the birds. And then second of all, see the flowers, contemplate them. And then third of all, seek the kingdom. Do these three things, and it will help you not to worry. It will help you obey the other command to not worry. We need to do all three of these, all of these imperatives, not just one or two. Don't we talk in, in, a, in a way we live church, that we don't want to leave out any of the commands of God. We want to obey all the commands of God. Well, what Jesus is saying to his disciples right here is, don't worry. And tell you what, to help you not worry, look and see and seek. And it will help you. And you will be faithful followers. So we're going to talk about these a little bit more. They are different words in the Greek. You've got them there. Uh, Why don't we go on to the next slide and talk about the first thing, which is to look at to look at the birds. He says, "Look at the birds." Which verse is that? I've lost it. Twenty-six. Look at the birds. There it is. Look at the birds of the air. Look at them. Now look at them. Now there's looking and there's looking, right? Mm -hmm. All right. There's noticing. And then there's using a pair of binoculars. How many of you are, are ornithologists, bird watchers? You like watching birds? You like looking at birds? One or two, yeah? One or two? Three, four? Okay, all right, good. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a bird watcher or ornithologist, if I just click this, does it work? Or do I break something? Oh, good, okay. So there's a big difference between, oh, look, there's a bird going over my head, as opposed to, these are my wife's binoculars, by the way, Getting a pair of these things and then training them on a bird in the distance. Someone on the back row asleep there. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, you. You adjust the focus. You've got a focus for this eye. You've got the main focus here. You, you adjust this for the, 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 the how far apart your eyes are and the size of and the shape of your nose and your. And you, you, see, you search for these birds and you look at them and, and as you do it through these, birds become more than just specks or they, become, they, fill, they fill this um, aperture, you know, and, into your, and it fills your eye. And you look at, you look at a, I mean, you, you look at a little robin, right? A little robin. It's just a little robin. It's just brown with a bit of orange. But when you look at it through the binoculars and you look at it, I mean, you look at it, it's just stunning. It's stunning. Even a sparrow. I mean, the different different kinds of feathers and the way that they all interlock and the different shadings and the and the speckling bits and the darker brown and the lighter brown bits and then and then and then you look at a blackbird and you realise it's not really black. It's kind of dark chocolate brown. And and you only you don't know that until you look through the and you look. I mean, looking is looking. It's not noticing. It's looking. He doesn't say notice the birds. There we go. Now let me get on with my main point. He says, look. It's a command. Look at the birds. 
Jesus needs to get their mind and their focus off something that isn't helpful and get their mind onto something that God is in control of, that God is providing, that God is doing. It's about God, really. It's not really about the birds. But he's saying the birds are a window, or the birds are a door, or the birds are a a way of setting your mind in a different place where God is now there instead of your worry. The thing. And this is what we need to do. We need to take this approach to to worry is to look at things differently uh there's a word here uh on the next slide emblepo that's the greek word to look attentively to gaze earnestly uh to uh, at an object to look searchingly or significantly you know when you gaze earnestly at something then everything else is blotted out as i imagine the Rory's eyes looking at his fiance. I imagine there was it was earnest. There was there was t- it was tunnel vision. That's how it is. I, I, our wedding was thirty years ago. I I don't remember much about it, but I remember her walking up the aisle. I was like, oh, wow. I mean, and this music was playing, and oh. I sh- I'm, I'm transported back there 30 years because it's burned into my the brain retina thing, whatever it is. You know, this is just this image. And we all have things like that, right? And he says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. If God cares for them, does he not care for you? On the next slide, you'll see my mother-in-law. <laughs> Which one are you talking about? One of them is a vulture, and the other one is my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is a very keen ornithologist, and she's not afraid to have a vulture on her arm. When you get up that close, you're looking at that bird. You know what I mean? You're looking, you're gazing, it's, you're, you're earnestly looking at this thing. But she want, My mother-in-law wants to get as close to the bird as she can. It's a beautiful, it's a, it's a impressive bird, at least. My, Penny's mother, father, and stepmother also travel the whole world looking at birds. They've been to Tashkent and Sri Lanka, and I don't know wherever you could possibly imagine. Just looking at, but they just—they're not—they're not people of faith, but they just find birds stunning. How, do we? Sometimes we live in a city, we don't see much. Do we forget? We forget how God provides. I mean, basics. You know, he's talking here about clothing, food, and water. He's not talking about the curved HD TV thing that is <laughs> new. He's not. He's not saying oh, that's it's on my list for you. I don't know. That's up to you. But he's talking about basics. But but it's it's a beautiful thing. This what God does for us. He provides. Um, I've got other stories, but I'll have to wait for another time. The next slide shows you the migratory patterns through Europe and into Africa. Now, I want you to focus on the green line there. Can you see that green line? Now, that goes through the Middle East, and it goes through Israel, where Jesus was and his disciples. That green line represents 500 million birds. 
500 million birds per year migrate north-south, and 500 million birds per year uh, migrate south-north through Israel. They come from various parts of Africa or various parts of Europe, and they funnel through Israel. That's a lot of birds. Not, not birds that stay there, migratory birds. Can you imagine the size of the flocks of what went through there? Now, we have a bit of a video. Is it here? Is it the next slide? Maybe. Okay, can I show you a short video just to give you a bit of a picture of some of this kind of thing? Yeah, it should just start with a click or, you know, the next slide. There you go. Imagine being in Israel seeing some of this. Jesus pointing to this. Isn't it funny how you just take a minute or two out to watch a few birds and you feel better <laughs> already? I think Jesus was on to something. I, I, I think he was. That part of the world has, per kilometre, the highest levels of bird traffic in the world. And some of the flocks, even you saw some big flocks there, some of the flocks of cranes, which were one of the birds that go through there, would be 50,000 birds in a flock. 50,000. I don't think when Jesus said, look at the birds, (laughs) I don't think he was saying, oh look, there's a sparrow. I I think he was, 
I, can, I imagine, okay, I imagine his disciples are gathered around, they're all anxious and worried, they're getting fretting about how to put into practice all the teachings he's giving them and all the stuff that's going to be happening in the future when they're arrested and they don't know what to say and all that kind of thing. And he says, guys, just look up for a minute and look at that. Look at the birds. And there's a flock of 50,000 cranes flying over. And you can kind of hear them, all the wing, wings beating. And then there's another 50,000. And then there's another 25,000 or some other bird. Then there's 100,000 or something else. And they're like, well, I, I, they probably didn't count up to 500 million in those days. I don't know. But they're like, that's a lot of birds. And they look okay. I think they got fed this morning. Looks like they've had enough water. Looks like they've got enough feathers for the day. I, I, I think G- Jesus was, it was mind-boggling. And as they looked at the beauty and, and the extent of the sustenance of what God did, does for birds, birds, how much more you? He'll take care of you. You do not need to be anxious. It says in Matthew 10, you are worth more than many sparrows. Just a little later on. Worth more. We're so valuable to God. Just a thought, and then we'll move on to flowers. Um, I think it helps us a great deal to bear in mind that the context of this teaching is in the context of the Lord's Prayer, that we call the Lord's Prayer just a bit earlier. And in that prayer, he says, uh, what part of that prayer is, give us our daily bread. So how many days worth of bread is that? I think it's one day. I think it's, God, give me today's bread. Because, what does he say in Matthew here about tomorrow? I mean, don't worry about it. It'll take care of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I'm not worried about bread tomorrow. I'm worried. Aren't you worried about bread today? No, I don't know about you. I'm getting hungry already for dinner. I mean, I'm not worried about breakfast tomorrow morning. I'm worried about dinner tonight, right? And I think that prayer is about today. Help me, God, stay focused on today. Just trust you for today. Give me a day's bread and I'll be happy. Can we honestly say that in our hearts? Isn't that a good place to be? If you give me today's bread, I will be content. And that's at least part of what he is saying. So... Uh, worry will not help us. It's a symptom and a sign of do, for us to do something. But why not, next time you get struck by worry, leave your house, walk out and look up. And just find a bird somewhere. I mean, if, if it's night time, I don't know what to suggest. But find a YouTube clip. Buy a picture of a bird that's beautiful and put it on your mantelpiece and look at it. That's Look up. Look at the birds. Secondly, see the flowers. Let's talk about seeing the flowers uh, a little more briefly. Um, Verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. But I tell you, Solomon, (laughs) Solomon, (laughs) I mean, you know, nothing on these flowers. He, He didn't have anything on it. Bear in mind, Queen of the South came, traveled, you know, all that distance just to see him, but and all of his finery, and, and Jesus says that was nothing. So, see, see the flowers, and the flowers are quite something. What's on the next fly, slide? I think, okay, the word to, to see, 
which is another sense of looking at. This word means to learn or observe thoroughly, to consider accurately and diligently, to contemplate, to contemplate. I like that word, to contemplate, see the flowers, contemplate the flowers. When you contemplate something, you do more than just notice that it's there. It's a steady look, it's a contemplation, it's the, there's something here, let me find out what it is. Contemplation. And there's a lot of uh, connection perhaps between that and meditation, but that's another lesson for another time. But there's some kind of meditative quality, I think, to what Jesus is saying here. See, contemplate these flowers. Don't you like a good flower? Our flowers are beautiful. Come on, the men, you can say okay as well. All right, I'm only hearing from the sisters there, but the flowers, they're fantastic. My wife is an amazing uh, uh, um, uh, horticulturalist, you know. She's got green fingers, beautiful things grow in our garden. And it's great when you see beautiful flowers. The next slide is of a place called Namakwaland in South Africa. It's renowned for this beautiful, huge, expansive, beautiful flowers. And that's what it normally looks like. We went there five years ago for our 25th wedding anniversary. And we were very excited to go to Namakwaland, which is apparently world famous and you, you, it's, it's, incre- it's the most amazing expanse of flowers anywhere and we got there and the next slide this is what it looked like um, apparently we were a week late um, so it's not there all year round it's just part of the year and then oh well you, oh so disappointing but aren't flowers amazing when you when you when you look at them the flowers of israel are beautiful it's still today one of israel's principal exports is flowers all over the world can you consider the magnificence of creation or the beauty of a flower some of which is destined to last for, for, for a single day and then be burned and how much more we are valued by god we will be clothed as we are uh, and what we are needed uh, what we need there's another little video clip let's watch this one i just love this Those, 
I mean, I, just t- I love that time lapse stuff because you just see the, the 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 incredible complexity of what's going on right there. You know, I, I think it's good first now and again to ask ourselves, what am I really worried about? Really, is it really about the next bill I can't pay? Is that what I'm really worried about? Is it really about whether I'm going to get married or not at some point ever in the future between now and when Jesus comes back or not? Is that really what's the thing for you? Is it whether I really will have kids or whether my kids really will ever become Christians? Or is it, is that the real issue? I mean, those are real concerns. If they're concerns, they're not, they're not, not real. They're real, right? I'm not saying that. But what under, what's underneath that? What's underneath that? And I think for me, at least, what's often underneath that is I really doubt whether God has well, is he going to look after me? Is he really looking? And he says he's, he's got his eye on me. There's that song about it, isn't there? Like, he's got, he's got his eye on me. I've forgotten it. On the sparrow. He's got his eye on the sparrow, has he? Well, jolly good for the sparrow, but what about me? I mean, I feel that sometimes. You know, is, it, is God really going to look after me? Am I really going to be able to cope with the, the strain I'm under, the pressure I'm under, the, uh, being made redundant or, or not enough pension or I've got to go into hospital for an operation, I don't know how it's going to go. Do, is it, it's, it's really about me and God, isn't it? And we need to take time to consider what's the real issue here and how much of this is about fear and how much of it is about faith. Where am I on this line of, between fear and faith? What did Jesus challenge his disciples on? It looks like the most was a lack of faith connected with fear. Do not fear, he said so many times. Am I saying that makes everything you know, click all back into place? No. But I'm saying if we recognize that that's where we are, then can't we then step away and say, I need to look at some birds, I need to see some flowers, I need to get my mind in a different place with God so that I can see what he's doing here and trust him for the future, for the, cert- for the things that are so uncertain. And indeed they are. Uh, the next slide, um, yeah, he knows. Okay, he knows what you need before you ask him. He does know. He already does know. Let's go on. Seek first his kingdom. Let's talk about this just to conclude in verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. All what things? All the basic necessities and that's it. Uh, some clothes, some food, some water. I mean that's, that's what you need at this point and then we can get our hearts around the idea of um, actually trusting God. The word here, zeteo, meaning to seek, means to look for. To search after, to be on watch for, to pursue, to have an endeavour to obtain something, to desire, to wish, to want, to strive for, to require, to demand, to inquire or ask questions of, to deliberate, to seek, to kill. I like that last phrase, not because I think that's what Jesus means, like seek to kill somebody. I don't think he means that, but I like that phrase because it, it reminds me of that sink, that focus. Seek the kingdom, again, is not a casual thing. It's not something we fall into. Like we go to church, you know, if I've been to a hundred services, then I'm obviously seeking the kingdom. I've read the Bible twice, now I'm seeking the kingdom. No, it's a, it's a hard thing, isn't it? And hopefully all of us here have felt that, and you were seeking the kingdom and found the kingdom but this actually is said to his disciples and they're meant to carry on seeking 
the kingdom, in other words, the kingdom's priorities, the kingdom's way of doing things, the way Jesus does things, and, and hopefully bringing that kingdom to other people, right? But that, seek to, that, that, that uh, seeking to kill, that reminds me of all the spy thrillers, you know. It's a James Bond thing where you've got somebody pursuing somebody, and they're running and chasing and shooting, and I'm not condoning any of that as such. But it's that kind of, I'm going to not stop till I get you. Many of those revenge thrillers... Recently, Liam Neeson, in film after film after film. He used to be a good actor, didn't he? Now, he seeks people out and seeks to kill them. He, uh, He wants to protect his daughter, or his wife, or somebody. Liam Neeson goes around punching people in the face. That should be the title of all of his films for the last five years. Liam Neeson goes around looking for people to punch. But you know that kind of, just, just, I'm, I'm not giving up. There's something about that. What Jesus is saying here is we, we need to keep our, a clarity of our spiritual focus. Why are we here? Why are we really here? We're here to use things that Jesus said to love God to love our neighbor as ourself, to love others, to love one another. To, it's, will this not at least protect us from some of the unnecessary worry if our lives are filled, if our hearts are filled with the priorities of the kingdom? Seek first the kingdom. Why? Because we don't know what's coming next in James 4. Is that the next slide? Now listen, you who say... Tomorrow, today, tomorrow, we'll go here and do that, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You're just a miss. <laughs> Isn't that so true? We're a mist. So if we're a mist, let's be humble and keep the kingdom as our priority. Uh, the next slide says, uh, that, that's what we prayed a bit earlier in, in, in that Lord's Prayer thing. You remember a bit earlier, the, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It's about God's priorities, not about our own. Next slide. To seek first the kingdom means what? What does it really mean? Well, does it mean obedience to Christ? Okay, I think so. Does it mean bringing others into the kingdom? Yeah. Does it mean making people happy? Okay. But I think there's something else on the next slide, even above all those things. I think seeking first the kingdom means living so that Christ, our King, will receive the honor that is due him. Isn't that right? Because if we want that, then we will do the other things. We will want to be obedient to Christ. We will want to bring others into the kingdom. We will want to help other people live life to the full in Christ. But that comes because it's our heart's desire that Christ, our King, will receive the honor that is due to him. And he does deserve much honor. Let's go to the next slide. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst for the the more important things, not the things that don't matter, like a third helping of dessert. Satisfied with what we need. Not what we want. Next slide. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Our anxiety doesn't just, I think, evaporate. I think it has to go somewhere. It has to be placed somewhere. He says, cast it on him. Take it there. Look at the birds, look at the flowers, seek the kingdom and take your anxiety anxiety onto God, onto Christ, 
you know that he cares. We know he cares because he went to the cross and because he continues to intercede for us. Next slide. Three places to look. Look up at the birds. Look around at the flowers. And then look to God. Next one. Three solutions to worry. These are offerings I give you, right? you, You can make up your own. Here's three things I think could help us. Firstly, read the Sermon on the Mount. Read it. Read it and pray through it. Read it regularly. It's only 5, 6, and 7. Chapters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Why not read it every now and again? Read it. Pray through it. Spend some time in it. Absorb it. Think about it. Take it to God. I think it might help our anxiety and our worry. Secondly, live one day at a time. It's all you've got anyway. You ain't been promised tomorrow. So let's not worry about tomorrow. Live one day at a time. Have I got enough bread for today? I certainly do. If I don't, I know where the Flemings live. (laughs) So, I think I'm alright for today. And thirdly, pray your anxieties onto God. Take them there. Last, next, nearly, okay. Little poem at the end. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Do we have a heavenly father that cares for you and me? I think we do. How to stop worry from taking over your life? How? Firstly, look at the birds. Secondly, see the flowers. Thirdly, seek first the kingdom. And God will take care of all the rest. Amen. Thank you so much, Malcolm. Let's all stand for our final song.